Trigger warning. This podcast may contain themes of suicide, violence, and drug use. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to Tia and Rio Attempt to Save Themselves and the World. Episode 2, True Faith. Previously on Tia and Rio Attempt to Save Themselves and the World, Tia asks her best friend Kiki to move in with her soon after the untimely loss of her mother. Things heat up for Rio and her boss Hugh after Rio decides to be her bold self and go in for a kiss, which Hugh reciprocates. Oh yeah, and most importantly, Tia and Rio experience what hell actually is for each of them and are threatened by hell to end their own lives. Neither of them comply, and now they find themselves seeing things they've never seen before. Then there's the brief introduction of Father Paul. Father Paul meets a small boy who turns his world upside down in minutes, making him experience and witness a world fully devoid of humanity. On Sunday, June 5th of 2022, the day before we meet our protagonists, Father Paul stood before his mass and noticed the number of people in attendance had diminished significantly from the previous few weeks. This angered him, and as he looked over his prepared sermon, he made the quick decision to forego the regular routine. My fellow believers, I ask you to think about what's become of the world these days. We have been tested with a pandemic. We have been forced to greet death in the face and run for cover behind closed doors and suffocating masks. Yet through it all, we are still here. We are here because we have true faith. God has been testing us, and if you're here with me now, then it's safe to say you've passed. Father Paul stepped down from the altar and walked along the pews, maintaining eye contact with all of his churchgoers. For those of you who are weary during these hard times, may I offer you the comfort in knowing this. The rapture will soon be upon us, and only those who are true believers shall be rewarded. There will be no more pain and suffering, not for anyone who is here today. Father Paul headed back to the altar with raised hands. Let us now pray and let God know that we are worthy of his kingdom, for we are all sinners who must be cleansed so that we may be saved. The evening after, on the night of June 6th, Father Paul blinks hard at the sights he has just been forced to witness and experience. The little boy, who appears no older than seven, flashes Father Paul a sinister smile. The child is wearing a navy suit with a little black tie, his dark brown hair grown out to his chin. There is a visible darkness that surrounds him. As small as the little boy is, Father Paul feels increasingly unnerved by the enormous shadow such a tiny child casts over his church. How can you smile at such devastation? Father Paul asks. People tearing apart other people for food. People dying on the streets from starvation and sickness and the unbearable heat. It's hell on earth, Father Paul says, his heart racing. The boy's smile widens. I smile because this doesn't have to be our reality. 
You can change the fate of the world. You have the power. Father Paul studies the child. How are you able to show me the future? Something about this does not feel right. The boy nods. It doesn't feel right because it doesn't have to happen. People don't have to be in agony anymore. There's a way to prevent all this horrific suffering. There's just one thing that I'm going to ask of you. Father Paul listens, eager to hear what this mysterious child has to say. The boy gets up and starts walking around the pews, seemingly imitating Father Paul's own sermon the day before. There are two women in this town that have unnatural powers. They are heathens who walk among us. These two women will be responsible for the end times with their selfish and careless ways. Father Paul watches this child stride along his church. You have quite a vocabulary for someone your age. The boy pauses, his gaze harsh. Perhaps we have chosen the wrong ally with you. Perhaps you are unworthy of the keys to our kingdom. Still seated and feeling woozy from the visions, Father Paul shakes his head. I'm sorry. I simply do not understand what is happening. How are you able to show me the future? The little boy interrupts, his stride gaining speed as he continues to pace around the church. Father Paul nods. Yes, that to me, that seems well. Father Paul tries to find the right words. I'm sorry. I'm having a hard time thinking of anything. I can still feel the heat, still hear all the screaming. I've had an inkling the end times were upon us, but I thought more of us may be spared. The boy stops pacing and hurriedly makes his way over to be right beside Father Paul. That's the spirit. More people will be spared, as long as we work together. These two women I mention, they are responsible for all the bloodshed, all the needless suffering. How is that even possible? Are they Satan's children? Have they been dabbling in the dark arts? Whatever they're doing, we cannot allow it to continue. I agree with you, and that's why I chose you. That's why you've been chosen. You have the capabilities and the drive to give these women a taste of their own medicine. Their lives need to be hell, the boy informs with a grin. That sounds... Wait, how did you show me the future? Did you ever answer that question? The boy's nostrils flare in anger, his small hands forming fists. Suddenly, all the lit candles in the church wildly shoot up at least five feet, causing Father Paul to fall out of his seat and onto the floor. The boy opens one of his hands to reveal a large, beautiful, authentic red ruby. Father Paul can feel himself start to shake, so he stops his efforts to get off the floor. He gazes into the boy's hand before making eye contact. The child's smile is smug and knowing. Father Paul... Do you remember exactly how you came into possession of such a gem? Father Paul stares at his feet now, avoiding eye contact at all cost. Hmm. You see, Father Paul, this is one of my many gifts. I can see the future, and I can see the past. I know all. And I'm only going to ask you one more time if you think you're the right man for this job. I... 
don't want us to be enemies. The boy snickers as he tosses the gem into the air. <laughs> Father Paul screams no, anticipating its shattering when it lands on the wooden pew, but the ruby vanishes into thin air. The boy continues to smile. I want us on the same side. We each want what's best for everyone. The world. It's why you became a priest, isn't it? Father Paul stands, his body and voice shaky. He moves to be in front of the child and kneels before him. I'm sorry for my doubt. I have known the end times were upon us. I am honored and truly blessed to be speaking to you. Please, forgive me. Please give me penance for my sins. The boy laughs at Father Paul, a twinkling amusement in his dark eyes. <laughs> Relax, Father. There will be no need for penance as long as you're able to carry out your mission. Father Paul nods, still kneeling. Please, tell me more about these women. The boy begins walking around the pews again, periodically looking at Father Paul while he talks. There are two things you need to understand about these women. The first is that no matter what, they cannot meet. Alone, they are not much of a problem yet. But if they meet, they will become the very threat of existence to all life on earth. The boy makes his way back to Father Paul, who is still kneeling. The second and most important piece of this puzzle is that these women must end their own lives. Neither you nor anyone else can kill them, but you can hurt them. Suffering for them is a must. They need to feel pain. Their lives should be so miserable that they'll be begging for death. Do you understand? Father Paul nods before gently raising his right hand. The boy looks annoyed. What? Why must they end their own lives? Surely it would be easier to kill the heathens before they destroy all of humanity? The little boy lets out a heavy sigh. <sighs> Father Paul, if you cannot fulfill the prophecy, then I must go. The boy starts walking to the main church entrance. Father Paul quickly gets up. No, please. I must fulfill this prophecy. I knew I was destined for great things. It would be my greatest honor. I will ensure these women never meet and make their lives so miserable they will have no choice but to end them. In this congregation, we do not tolerate those who are evil. The boy turns around to face Father Paul. Right, the boy replies with a smirk. Who are these women? What are their names? The boy takes another step towards Father Paul, his ominous shadow looming over the anxious priest. Neither of these two women live far from here. Their names are Titiana Johnson and Rose Smith. Tuesday morning arrives faster than either Tia or Rio desires. Still reeling from the day before, Tia struggles to get out of bed. Kiki is asleep beside her, and the light wheezing sound coming from her friend's nose makes Tia giggle softly, helping her finally get up and get ready for her shift at Walking on Sunshine, the local laundromat only a few blocks from Tia's house. 
Tia opens up her most current notebook and sees her suicide note from yesterday. She rips that page out and then rips a small sheet of paper off the next line sheet and quickly writes, Kiki, I'll be done with my shift today at four. I'll see you then. Love, Tia. Tia leaves the note for Kiki on her side of the bed before taking the note she had written yesterday with her downstairs, tearing it up into shreds before tossing it in the kitchen's trash can. Tia takes a deep breath at her front door. She doesn't want to leave. She doesn't want to go to work. This will be her first day back since her mother's passing, and she isn't sure she can deal with some of the more entitled and abrasive customers today. Another deep breath and Tia's out the door, taking fast strides to get to work and get the day over with. On her walk there, she goes out of her way to not look at anybody or to notice anything going on around her. She doesn't want to see ghostly figures riding on horseback, and she certainly doesn't want to become the next Haley Joe Osment. She takes out the pen she always carries in her pocket and clicks the top. Should I tell Kiki? What would I even say? I wanted to kill myself? I miss my mom so much I can't stand to live. Oh yeah, I somehow was dragged into hell and threatened by my longtime idol. I swam in a lake of blood, or a blood lake, and then swam to a shore made up of pills and needles. I know grief messes with your head, but this just seems a bit extra. Walking on Sunshine is a quaint little business with bright yellow walls and some seemingly off-putting sun decor. The giant sun in the window flashes a larger-than-life smile to all passerbys, and the sunglasses the sun itself is wearing causes Tia to roll her eyes every time she sees it. If only everyone can meet Barry, then they know how full of shit this sunny advertisement is. She enters the laundromat, putting a face mask on, and walks past a couple of customers, which she greets with a forced smile and nod. Even though they can't see her smile, she knows it's frowned upon to not acknowledge the customers with a chipper attitude. She heads towards the back office to change into scrubs and put on gloves. She tolerates her job, at best, knowing she belongs in a laboratory studying biology and chemistry. This isn't going to be forever. She reminds herself, repeating this phrase every time she's questioning her position here. Just as she's about to put her gloves on, an overweight, balding man with thick glasses and a long, unkempt beard waltzes in, eyeing Tia up and down. I'm glad you're finally back. How have you been? Tia forces another smile. Hi, Barry. She replies, not wanting to answer any questions. She just wants to do her job and go home. Funny, Barry was never interested in talking to Tia while her mother was so sick she could barely stand. According to Barry, she was taking advantage of him and this wonderful job she's so lucky to have. It takes a lot of strength for Tia to keep her mouth shut, and she can feel her facade fading the longer he stares at her, eyeing her up like she's some sort of prize. We need to talk. Before you start your shift today, I want to make sure we're on the same page. I'm giving you a verbal warning that if you miss any more shifts this month, you'll receive a written warning before I terminate you. Tia stares back at him, silent. She doesn't know how to respond to this. Barry lets out a small sigh before following up with, <sighs> Look, I know nothing that's been happening to you is easy, but I need workers who are going to show up. I am sorry for your loss, 
So let's move on and pretend like you're the golden worker I know you can be. Are we clear? Stunned but not overly surprised, Tia slowly nods in agreement, all the while imagining punching Barry in his face. She could not recall the sheer amount of times he has, quote, accidentally bumped into or smacked her ass. And while she knows she's far better than having to put up with this shit from an employer, she feels she has no choice but to stay. Her mother's private burial and funeral, along with the grave, ate up all the savings the two women had. Their house still isn't paid off, and Tia fears, with the little income she makes, she won't be able to afford living in their house anymore. And she couldn't let that happen. As soon as Barry is out of sight, Tia grabs the pen from her pocket and clicks it repeatedly for about a minute before putting on her work gloves and getting started on the wash that needs to be done. The rest of the morning goes about as normal. Tuesdays typically aren't a super busy laundry day, and Tia's relieved that her first day back is quiet. Around lunchtime, Barry announces he's going out for food and will be back in half an hour. Tia is all by herself in the store, checking all the lint trays on the dryers to make sure they've been emptied. On her very last dryer, she hears a chime on the entrance ding and gives a friendly, Hello. When she doesn't hear a response back, she looks over and sees that the customer appears to be a priest, sporting the typical cassock worn by Catholic clergy. Hello, how are you? Tia says again, making direct eye contact. The priest doesn't say anything. He takes a few more steps towards Tia, making Tia want to instinctively move away from him, except she is out of space. Her back presses against the cheery yellow wall, her eyes watching the priest as he continues to make his way towards her. Can I help you? She asks, not understanding what his problem is. Tia has never been very religious, but even still, she knows that whoever this man is, he's trying to intimidate her. He may not be able to see all of her face, but she realizes her body language can tell him she's scared. She takes a step closer to him to get away from the wall. If I need to run, I can't be hiding in a corner. The priest's face hosts a mocking smirk. He's only a few feet away from her, and his eyes narrow when he stops walking towards her. Are you Tatiana Johnson? The priest asks. Tia's mind races with questions. How does he know my name? Why is he here at my job? We had a minister at my mom's burial, but that still wouldn't explain this. The priest looks around. There are a couple of dryers on, creating a loud, whirring sound, but the rest of the place is dead silent, including Tia, who continues to stare back at this strange religious man. Are you deaf? I asked if you are Tatiana Johnson, he asks again, this time sounding agitated he had to repeat himself. Tia straightens her back to look less afraid and uncomfortable. Why are you asking me what my name is? Who are you? She fires back. The priest smiles, his head tilting down at the floor before peering back up at Tia, his face serious and mean. I'm just here to look at the woman responsible for bringing the end of times. I like to put faces to names. Not that I can get a good look at yours with that mask on, he replies. What in the actual? How does he... Tia's thoughts flood in but she does her best to maintain her stance. The chime on the entrance dings again, and a mother with a small child comes in with three enormous laundry bags. 
Tia narrows her eyes now, deciding she's had enough. Whoever you are, I think you should leave. I have real customers to assist. Tia moves along the edge of the wall and goes down the opposite aisle to avoid going near the priest. He lets out a small cackle before following Tia towards the entrance. I look forward to seeing you again soon. And please, do accept my condolences for the loss of your mother, he says before taking his leave. Tia feels her eyes start to water, and she fights back the tears, forcing herself to be cheery and help the woman and child with all of their laundry. As she's loading the washing machines, she hears the priest's words over and over, like some kind of awful chant. She's disturbed about all of his knowledge of her, but not overly surprised considering her mother's obituary would have had her name in it. What she can't shake off is the whole woman responsible for the end of times. Is that what the strange out-of-body dream-like experience I had yesterday was trying to tell me? Nothing that's happened since yesterday makes any sense. She wishes she could talk to her mother about everything, and she fears that whatever is happening to her is only getting started. The morning of June 7th would start with a pleasant surprise for Rio. She wakes up and sees she's in Anita's bed, sleeping right beside her beloved guardian. Rio begins to sit up, but immediately lays back down when she feels her head pounding and her stomach churning. God, I'm such a lightweight, she thinks to herself. Anita feels Rio stir, and she turns to face her. Anita's warm smile comforts Rio as she tries to sit up again. This time, she has a bit more success. How are you feeling, my dear? Anita lovingly brushes the hair out of Rio's face. <sighs> Hungover, mostly. But happy to see you. How's it been here, living on your own? Rio thinks back to last night, and she can't believe this topic didn't come up then. Which is a blessing in disguise, since the more Rio drinks, the less her already small filter stays on. It it's been okay. Rio lies, not wanting to tell the woman who basically raised her since a tween that she doesn't think she can handle living on her own. How's living with Tony? Is he treating you right? Anita flashes her usual playful smile before nodding. I think it's okay with him. He's a bit, um, possessive. I never cared for that trait, with him or any guy I've been with. I sometimes think I'm like another car of his, you know? He loves to ride me, and if he can't see me, he gets worried. It's a bit strange. Rio studies Anita. Are you happy with him? She asks, sincerely concerned. Oh, goodness, my Rio. Don't worry so much. You're going to get wrinkles long before you need. I'm fine. It's just different. But if he keeps it up, I just won't stay. Have you talked to him about all of this? Anita thinks for a moment. You know, that's maybe what the problem is. We just don't talk enough. Too busy with other things. Anita winks, then lightly pushes Rio's shoulder. Speaking of other things, you didn't say a single thing about your boss last night, and I'm dying to know what's going on. Wait, what did we talk about last night? This response causes Anita to laugh. Oh, my dear, 
You were full of magical stories. I got to hear all about you and your big dream with Simon. And a lot of other things that didn't make a lot of sense. But you passed out very early last night. I was worried you were getting sick and didn't want to leave you alone. That's very kind of you. Anita wraps Rio in a warm embrace. Hey, just because I don't live here anymore doesn't mean I don't care. I miss you every day. Tony is great for the most part, but he's no Rio Grande. Rio can feel herself getting emotional and wants to change the subject. I'm sorry. What did you ask me? Anita playfully pushes her again. Your boss. What's going on there? Hugh seems like a nice guy, and I've never seen you so happy at a job before this one. Something must be working out, right? Rio suddenly sits up quickly, and the dizziness hits her hard. Oh, shit. What time is it? I work today. Anita laughs. Relax. It's only a little before eight. I'll have to leave soon to get to work too, but I wanted to make sure you're okay before I head out. We're going to make this a new weekly tradition. I have to spend the night with my Rio at least one night a week, if that's okay with you. Of course it's okay. I'd love that, Rio states eagerly. Anita looks around the room and directly out into the hall, where you can see the entire living room and kitchen. God, I miss this place. Tony's place is a lot bigger, but this is... It's... Home, Rio finishes, and Anita nods in agreement. Exactly. After Anita leaves, her memories from yesterday immediately begin to flood her mind. Rio can be her own worst enemy, as most people are, and the minute she's left to her own devices, an unbearable loneliness takes hold. Anita has been Rio's levy for years, helping her keep all the terrible thoughts out of Rio's brain. Within minutes of Anita not being there, Rio starts dry heaving as Monday replays over and over again in her head. There's no way I was actually in hell. That's not even possible, right? She thinks to herself. I mean, one minute I'm in Anita's car, and then, boom! I'm walking through a TV maze being chased by raged-out people. And then there's the people on TV. On the actual TV. Oh. No. What if I never left hell? What if I'm still there and this is all some sort of Truman Show setup? Oh no. No, 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 no. I can't keep doing this to myself. This kind of thinking is what got me in trouble in the first place. Think happy thoughts. That's what Anita always says when I can't turn my mind off. What's good? Um, Hugh! I really went for it yesterday. That makeout session with Hugh. That was definitely real. He's a great kisser. Rio starts getting distracted, thinking about Hugh's soft lips and the light brushing of his midnight shadow on her smooth skin. Damn. It's gonna be interesting at work today. Rio thinks, her mood perking up. On her walk to work, Rio can't get Hugh out of her mind, which is fine with her. It surely beats thinking about all the other weird shit that happened yesterday. However, the more she replays the kiss between her and Hugh in her head, the more nervous she becomes. Rosanna! Rosanna! Rio belts out. As a child, Rio developed a nervous tick that helped her cope with all the many occasions she walked in on her mother having sex. 
This tick emerges only under severe distress, or in this case, thinking about the man she's had a crush on for over the last two years and the possibility of them exploring a newfound relationship. Her heart racing, she decides to go to the back entrance of the store. She sees Hugh's car in the parking lot and knocks. She hears the jingle of Hugh's keys, and seconds later, the two are awkwardly staring at each other. The urge to bow out more of Toto's Rosanna makes Rio dig her fingernails into the palm of her hands. Let's not embarrass ourselves first thing. Hey, Hugh. Good morning, Rose. He replies, holding the door open for her. She walks in, and Hugh shuts and locks the back door behind him. The two walk side by side until they stop in front of Hugh's office. Hugh fidgets with his keys for a moment before saying, Rose, should we talk about what happened yesterday? We can if you want to. Hugh stares at Rio for what seems like an awfully long time, and the longer he waits to speak, the more Rio feels the urge to randomly burst into song. Why did you kiss me? Hugh asks, his breath heavy. Before Rio can answer, he blurts out, You asked me if what happened is real, and I guess I just want to make sure you're okay. Oh boy. Right. So, yesterday wasn't exactly what I'd call my best day. In all honesty, Hugh, I was having a really terrible day, and the strangest things kept happening to me. I don't think I could explain what all happened, even if I really wanted to. Rio sighs, making sure she words her sentences carefully. She doesn't want to tell Hugh what she seriously contemplated doing yesterday morning, and she doesn't want him to think she's crazy, either. Should I tell him how I feel about him? Will that freak him out? I mean, he's 46. He can handle it. All things aside, I kissed you because I like you, Hugh. I've always liked you. Hugh looks very surprised by this answer, and Rio can't be totally sure because the lights are still off in the rest of the store, except for Hugh's office, but she's certain he's blushing. Hugh's searching for words, but they're not coming. Rio moves so she's right in front of him. And for the record, I don't regret a second of it, Rio adds, then stands on her tiptoes to plant a kiss on Hugh's cheek. When they make eye contact again, there's a longing in Hugh's eyes. Rio stands there, waiting for Hugh to say something. Okay, your turn. <clears throat> Rose, I like you too. It's just, I'm your boss. And I'm worried it's unprofessional of me to have a relationship with you. Do you really think Darren or Steve are going to care if we dated? I'm sure my co-workers aren't going to mind. Unless either of them are closeted gay and also have the hots for you. Hugh laughs nervously, and Rio can now clearly see that his face is beet red. I can't believe I told him I like him. There's no going back now, so let's make the best of it. So, what do we do now? Well, it, uh, seems like the logical thing to do is have you over for dinner. Say, Friday night after work? Rio beams, her heart fluttering like wild. I'd say it's a date. The two give each other a goofy smile before Hugh moves to turn on the store's lights and change the sign to open. He unlocks the front entrance and is about to head back into his office, but stops midway through the door. He acts like he's about to say something, so Rio waits, but he eventually heads inside, 
telling Rio to get him if she needs anything. That was odd. But Rio doesn't dwell on it as she starts opening up a box full of new inventory. Rio turns on her tunes, choosing New Order as her artist of choice for the day. The store remains rather vacant most of the morning, and by afternoon, only a few customers come in to browse the new releases. Rio is careful with each and every person who comes in, terrified that she's going to see people who look like creatures or something otherworldly. A little after 3 p.m., Rio is entering the last few vinyls into the computer system when she hears the bell on the top of the door ding. She looks up and sees a priest standing in the doorway, and she greets him with her usual, Hi, welcome to Hughes. Is there anything I can help you find? The priest's mouth twists in an unnatural grin, his eyes cold. Yes, I'm looking for Rose Smith. You wouldn't happen to be her, would you? Rio studies him, wondering why a priest would be asking for her. Then one of her biggest fears comes to mind, her heart heavy. Did something happen to my mom? Rio has been worried for years that something awful has in fact happened to her mother. She hasn't been able to reach her in at least four years, and has dreaded this day since she was a child. Although she always assumed that it would be the police to inform her of her mother's demise, not a clergyman. This question seems to confuse the priest. He lets out a small laugh before stepping closer to Rio. I don't know who your mother is, but I'm sure she's very disappointed in you. Now it's Rio's turn to be confused. Wait, what? The priest takes another step towards her. They are only about two feet away from each other now, making Rio increasingly uncomfortable. She's about to ask him how he knows her when she notices a dark cloud funneling around him. Who are you? The priest gives Rio an unsettling grin before saying, I'm the man who's going to save the world from you. Rio shakes her head, watching this black, cloud-like substance move through the priest as if he wasn't a real person standing before her. As swiftly as she can, she shuts off the New Order CD, making the store eerily quiet and hoping to get Hugh's attention. I don't understand. What do you want? Thankfully, Hugh gets the hint and comes out of his office to see why Rio has turned off the music and is now shouting. Is everything alright here? Hugh walks right in front of the priest and stands beside Rio at the counter. Everything's fine here. Are you the owner of this establishment? Hugh nods. Yeah? Can I help you with something? You can help me and everybody out by doing a better job and screening your employees. This remark instantly rubs Hugh the wrong way. If you don't plan on buying anything, you need to leave. The priest stifles a laugh, puts up his hands, and walks backwards towards the front entrance. <laughs> if a man of God isn't welcome here, then who is? Paying customers. Hugh follows the priest to the door, then locks it behind him. The priest turns, seemingly happy with himself, then saunters away. Hugh whips around to Rio. What the fuck was that all about? Rio is trembling her heart sinking. The things that happened yesterday, it was all real, wasn't it? She doesn't hear Hugh's question. Hugh notices she's trembling and goes to her side. Hey, it's okay. Did you know him? Rio shakes her head. Can I ask what happened? I, 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 I don't know what just happened. Rio finally makes eye contact with Hugh, her heart still racing. Did you notice the black cloud around him? Hugh's eyebrows narrow, 
He gently tugs Rio and guides her back to the office. Hold on one sec. Hugh switches the sign on the door to closed. He goes back into his office and moves his chair so that he can sit right next to Rio. Rose, are you feeling okay? Rio lets out a frustrated sigh. So you don't see what I saw? You didn't see the cloud around him? Hugh studies her for a moment before softly replying, No, I didn't see anything other than he seemed like an asshole who was giving you a hard time. Rio puts her head in her hands and takes a deep breath before sitting back up. You've known me for two years. Have I ever come off as insane before? Only a little, he jokes, trying to cheer her up. A small smile forms before she lets out another frustrated sigh. Oh, this has been such a strange week. I'm sorry all this weird shit keeps happening while I'm here. Maybe that priest is right. You need a better employee. Hugh carefully takes Rio's hand. I wouldn't trade you for the world. Rio blushes hard, her mood beginning to perk up. Apparently the world is going to be destroyed thanks to me, she thinks, still attempting to make sense of the strange interaction. Rio doesn't know what to say. She wants to play it cool with Hugh, but she's the type of person who wears her heart on her sleeve. Hey, Hugh interrupts her flurry of thoughts. Why don't I drive you home? I'll close the store for the day. And tomorrow we'll start fresh. Let's forget about angry priests. What do you say? That's really nice of you, Hugh. I feel bad, though. I don't want you to close the store because of me. Hugh shrugs. It's a Tuesday in June. I think the store and any of the handful of customers who might stop by will survive, he says. You're really spoiling me here. Let me just post that we're closing early on our social, and then we'll be all set. Meanwhile, the second the clock hits four, Tia quickly heads out of walking on sunshine to head home. No matter how hard she tries, she can't shake the creepy priest and the hatred she saw in his eyes. Her many questions and growing concerns keep her occupied on her walk home. She does the same thing she did that very morning, avoiding eye contact with anyone and only being as aware of her surroundings as is absolutely necessary. When she gets home, the front door swings open and an anxious Kiki is waiting for her. Tia hurries inside and Kiki slams the front door shut and locks it behind her. Kiki, what's wrong? T, I don't want to upset you or make you have any more shit on your plate, but... Kiki bites her lip, fumbling over her words. With the day Tia had, she can't take any suspense. Kiki, what is it? Kiki slowly walks towards the kitchen, and Tia immediately sees a bunch of broken glass on the floor. I went home to pack up and bring my things over, and when I came back, I saw someone must have thrown this through the back door. Kiki points to a brick on the kitchen counter. What the? Before Tia can finish her sentence, Kiki holds out a piece of paper. T, are you in some kind of trouble? Tia takes the paper and reads the black Sharpie message written on it. We know who you are. We know where you live. Things are only going to get worse. Finish what you started. Q 
Hugh and Rio pull up to her trailer, and they both notice something is very wrong. The front door is hanging wide open. Oh my god! Rio jumps out of Hugh's car and runs inside. Hugh rushes after her. Rose, be careful! He hurries to catch up with her and accidentally bumps into her back. She's standing in the living room, gazing around at the trailer and trying to figure out if she's been robbed or just what exactly is going on. Hugh tugs at her arm and whispers, You have to be careful. Someone could still be in here. Rio nods and lightly caresses his hand before stepping further into her trailer. If someone was in here, trust me, we'd hear him, she explains before examining the living room and kitchen. Everything looks to be in place and nothing seems like it's been moved or tampered with. Hugh moves in front of her. Hey, just to be safe as he leads the way into the rest of her small home. He turns on the bathroom light and the two check behind the shower curtain. Nothing. Everything still seems intact. Anita's room looks the same, so the only room left is Rio's, across from the bathroom. The door is shut, and Rio tries to remember if she shut it before she left as she used to do habitually, or if she left it open. She isn't sure, but she's ready to find out. Open it slowly. She commands Hugh, and he carefully opens the door and feels around for the switch. When the lights come on, Hugh says, Whoa. Rio rushes in, and at first glance, everything seems in place. She sees her suicide note on the bed and quickly grabs it and crumples it up before Hugh notices. He's too busy gawking at the time warp of a room, Rio proudly hosts. Is everything here? He asks still studying all the posters and 80s memorabilia. You know, I'm starting to get the full picture of why you like working at my store. Hugh is clearly amused by her passion. Rio scans her room, and everything appears to be in... Wait. Rio walks over to her favorite photo of Simon Le Bon. She yanks it off the wall, her hands starting to tremble again. Nothing in her home appears to have been stolen, and not any other thing is out of place. But this 80s poster of Simon has a clear message written across it in red sharpie. We know who you are and where you live. Things are only going to get worse from here. Be smart and just finish what you started. The Tia and Rio Show is created written and produced by Callie Oberlander. Tia is performed by Julie McCormick. Rio and all other voices that are not Tia are performed by Callie Oberlander. Sound design, editing, and music are by Eric Brown. My writing continuity checkers and my biggest cheerleaders are Jules Johnson and Hilary Roback. And if you've made it this far, please remember, even in the darkest times, there is always hope. Pocket Podcast Network. Quality programming right to your pocket.